It's too darn hot. It's too darn hot. I'd like to sup with my baby tonight. Refill the cup. Well, uh, county council is going to honor a local legend. The hot days for like Anderson County Fire Commission tonight. continue. The high-speed rail is closer to reality coming through Anderson. A new fire chief in Williamston, a new police chief in Iva, and a new restaurant downtown. All this and more on this edition of the Anderson Observer Podcast. News from people you trust. Well, there's only 166 days left in 2021. And the days are getting shorter, and the dog days of summer are barking loudly. Uh, there is good news hidden within all this, though. The summer tomatoes are in plentiful supply. And if your neighbors are not sharing paper sacks full, leaving them on your doorstep, visit the Anderson County Farmer's Market where you can stock up not only on summer tomatoes, but peaches, strawberries, blueberries, squash, green beans, corn, pretty much anything else that's coming out on the summer table this year. Uh, they're open Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays, and you can get details about it on the Anderson County Farmer's Market Facebook page. Such a bounty is the payoff for the miserable heat and humidity we're getting now, so take advantage of it. Anderson County Council will consider a new EMS contract on Tuesday night. It's a critical decision as the county continues to grow faster than available services. Uh, more on that next week. But another big announcement Tuesday night will be the naming of the Broadway Lake Event Center at McFall's Landing after the late Anderson County Councilwoman Gracie Floyd. During her 21 years on council, one of the places on, in her district that she worked tirelessly to serve with the Broadway Lake community, she was very proud of that. And in the last interview she did before her death, here's what she had to say about the Broadway Lake work. And Broadway Lake's part of your district. And you, oh, did I not say you, Well, I was just going to say, but you, yeah. Yeah, you did, but that's, that's been something you've, you've really worked hard to improve things out there. Yeah, when I, um, when I looked at Broadway Lake, I saw the water, the houses, and the trees, and the grass, and the people, but then I saw something else. I saw a diamond a diamond in the rough. And I thought, this could really be something great. So the first thing we did was um, some friends of mine, um, I don't know if they would like for me to say their names or not, but, but some friends and I got together and uh, we organized. Uh, organization with me comes like this. You the chairman, and you the treasurer, and you the... <laughs> and we organized, okay? And then they did the rest. They did the rest. They, uh, they knew what they wanted for that area, and they knew how they wanted it. And the only thing I did really was just sit around and say, uh-huh, okay, yeah, that'll work. Uh, but you've got a center out there now that's booked a year or more in advance. Oh, please don't let me tell you about that center, okay? It, uh, that center was a lot of harassment. Before we did that, we had a building out there. The toilet leaked. The kitchen floor would flood out. It was nasty. Um, it was just something that it was just sitting out there, okay? And people were trying their best to use it because they really needed it out there. So, given the chance um, to do something about it, we did. We did. We decided that we were going to put a new building out there. And uh, uh, we, work, we worked on that so hard. Then it was finished. Well, the big picture was it was there. It was there that we did it. And the only thing we did was we shined up that diamond. 
a little bit more. Gracie talks a lot about shining up areas that just needed a little polish and did a lot of good work for her community over the years, and she will be missed. Her replacement, uh, who was elected, Glenn Davis, was re elected to serve District 2 uh, following her death, is going to present this Tuesday night at Council. And it is an honor that I think people will be, be glad to see. And it's the perfect place to have a naming of something for Gracie. One of the most significant uh, pieces of news this past week is the update of the proposed high-speed passenger tra uh, train between Atlanta and Charlotte, which eventually they plan to go from Charlotte to Raleigh and Raleigh to Washington, D.C. Almost follows a good part of the old Southern Crescent Rail Line uh, in terms of, of, of destinations. But the latest proposal favors a route that crosses the southeast part of Anderson County and includes that Anderson Station. Uh, such a train would mean trips to Atlanta or Charlotte would take about 40 to 45 minutes from Anderson and that location will be a boon for that part of the county, which is some distance from an interstate. Uh, they're going to be gathering feedback soon on the favored route before the next stage, which will seek funding for the project. And once the stage is completed, it will have a train that could reach destinations uh, from, like I said, from Atlanta to Washington, D.C. at speeds of 125 to 220 miles per hour. With that station in Anderson, it would be a big deal for us, and let's hope it all falls into place soon. Well, as I said, the dog days of summer are not the only thing heating up in Anderson County this week. The leaders of the Anderson County Fire Protection Commission, which represents 17, I mean 27 volunteer stations across the county, suspended two chiefs for social media posts concerning the May 18th referendum, which sought a four mil increase of funding for the commission. Um, the special election referendum was approved for a vote uh, by a 5-3 vote from the Anderson County Legislative Delegation with Ann Thayer, Richard Cash, and Jonathan Hill opposing along the special election referendum on May 18th. Uh, not disciplined by Chief Jimmy Ray Sutherland or Assistant Chief Brian Moon were 12 other chiefs who also posted social media posts surrounding the referendum. The difference is the two chiefs, Centerville's Greg Dunn and Hopeful's Andy Ginn's post, were against the referendum while the other 12 were in favor of the referendum, which narrowly passed by less than 100 votes. The tax um, will cost homeowners within those districts. Uh, the owner of a $200,000 house will pay $32 extra a year, and it's expected to generate around $2.75 million for the county fire department projects and salaries within the fire commission. Dunn and Ginn have attained the services of Anderson attorney Nancy Joe Thomason, who is challenging the suspensions and charging that the two are being singled out for opposing uh, the proposal and also that they were singled out improperly and, 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 and illegally. Uh, Thompson has requested a full meeting with the full commission, and if the issue is not resolved, a lawsuit is likely. And watch the Anderson Observer News for People You Trust for updates on this and other stories pertaining to that. I've also been chasing a story and will continue to chase updates on the proposed resort at Hartwell Lake Development by the Hartwell Lake Development Group, the Shores of Asbury. In 2020, the group announced they were working with the United States Army Corps of Engineers in Anderson County to build a multi-use recreation RV resort, which was scheduled to open this summer. It was going to be called the Shores of Asbury and was going to be home to Anderson County's first full RV resort with tree houses, yurts, cabin rentals, primitive camping, waterfront grill, a firefly landing wedding venue, and a water park that was to be a floating water park called the Aqua Zone. But a series of delays and attempts to expand the floating water park, maybe over the River Forks area in the meantime, have not gone very well. The site is basically a muddy mess and unlikely to open in 2021 unless something happens quickly. Exactly what has happened to cause all the delays and problems is unclear. So far, attempts to get this information from the group have gone unanswered, but I will continue to seek those answers. One thing is clear that the once heavily wooded area has seen a major clearing of trees and a lot of muddy silt lines the lake around the site. 
heavy equipment sits still most days. I've been out there to try to catch somebody, but nothing seems to be going on. So a little work has been done of late. Neighbors who live around that proposed resort are furious about the mess and the lack of information on what's going on and when and if there'll be progress and when there'll be a general cleanup. More to come on this. I hope the group can rebound and meet the challenges of whatever led to this standstill in construction. The abandoned core sites around the lake have often been problematic in places for crime and other stuff, and repurposing them in a strategic way could benefit the entire community, and we hope that can happen in a way that's good for everybody, and we'll continue to look at these updates. Meanwhile, the city of Anderson moved ahead last week with a pro proposed development on the corner of Midway and Crestview Roads. Council was told the revised plans to reduce the number of planned houses on that site from 200 to 159 on the 50-acre K property along with some other promised updates, but there was no hard evidence. I mean, evidence is probably a strong word. There was no hard, hard documentation that was available to either council members or the public at that meeting. They said that the person who had it was on vacation and they would get it later. Two council members expressed serious concerns about traffic flow in the area, especially since the roundabout, which has been planned for that intersection, is not slated to be completed until 2025. Traffic is already overpowering that intersection, and the added mess of construction of a roundabout will only add to the headaches. And that's not to mention the need for a redesign of that plan to feed Harriet Circle into that flow of traffic. Growth is coming in Anderson County, and in the city of Anderson wants to grow, and there's a shortage of housing and a need for housing. But 156 houses on 50 acres is not really a great answer. Perhaps 120, ounce, uh, 120 houses on 0.4 acre lots with sidewalks, multiple entry exit points, would be more in keeping with the character of the community. Those who are opposing any development um, are not really help being helpful at all. The city leadership that is gung-ho for a massive development need to find some common ground with these folks that are unhappy. Uh, city representatives, though, um, they don't represent the community that's out there because they live in the county, not in the city. So it'd be to the city's benefit to maybe tap their brakes and consider the advantages of an annex subdivision, which would be a model for future development. I have recommended before that maybe slowing down and making sure this looks good and is going to be something to be proud of for the time to come. I'd also recommend fewer comments about how close some council members seem to be to the proposed developer. Those optics are not very good. We've got a good city council, good leadership going now, and the city needs to, to develop, develop annexations to grow. Um, they'll make their money not only in city taxes, but, you know, water and sewer and other things. City needs to grow. Housing is a great need. But rushing into something that is going to be a, a, basically a high-density housing development that doesn't reflect, reflect the character of that area is probably not the best idea for now. Meanwhile, there is other good news this week, including the fact that Anderson is still fortunate to be home to one of the top 100 restaurants in America. And that's no surprise to us who know that Sullivan's Metropolitan Grill has been Anderson's top fine dining restaurant for more than two decades. Bill Nickus and his late wife Sabre opened Sullivan's when downtown Anderson was pretty much dead, a ghost town. And their vision helped kick off the renaissance of progress that continues today downtown. And from their signature dinner entrees to their top lunch treats, nobody beats Sullivan's when it's time to eat. And the same great food is available for your special event with white tablecloth catering at prices comparable to far less elegant and tasty competitors. If you have not been lately, try Sullivan's this week and check them out on their Facebook page for specials and discounts at Sullivan's Metropolitan Grill and tell them you heard about it on the Anderson Observer podcast, news from people you trust. Anderson County is also now home to the South Carolina Superintendent of the Year. School District 3 Superintendent Kathy Hip was recently tapped for that honor for her passionate leadership and 
long-term service in that district and it's very well-deserved honor. I've known Kathy for many years and no local superintendent has deeper roots in her community and a greater commitment to, her, to that district than she does. The district's lucky to have her and we congratulate her on that. The Anderson Observer Podcast, News from People You Trust, will have an interview with Kathy in a couple weeks to not only discuss the award, but the upcoming school year. This will also be followed by interviews with all the school district superintendents on the upcoming year. In other news, a new restaurant is now open downtown. 151 at the Bleckley is open for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and brunch on weekends. Anderson native Richard Farr, many of you will recognize that name because his family operated Farr Music for decades, has returned home after more than 25 years as a chef in Charleston. And I talked to him about why he chose to return to Anderson and chose the Bleckley as his destination for a new restaurant. Tell me what gave you the impetus to come back to Anderson here and start a restaurant. Well, I mean, so I grew up here, obviously. I was, you know, grew up here until I was 18 years old, swore I'd never come back. Um, but having been in Charleston for over 20 years, uh, competition is super stiff down there. Um, I thought I could bring something to Anderson that no one had ever seen before. Uh, you know, just a little bit of the Charleston flair uh, to the cuisine here in Anderson. Well, before we get too much into that, remind people who your family here, because some people will know your family. Yeah, my father's John Farr. Um, my mother's Evelyn Farr. They owned and operated Farr Music for many decades. Um, my family's been in this town for at least three to four generations on both sides. Um, my father, uh, my grandfather owned Rice Farr Music, and my father also owned Carpet Fashions as well. So we've been around for a while. What was your vision for bringing a restaurant to Anderson? You knew the town, you just hadn't been in a while, but you came back. What was your vision to bring here? Well, I wanted to do food that people were familiar with, but with a little bit more finesse, I, I think is probably the word I'm looking for. Um, you know, not just throwing it on a plate. I wanted to bring nice presentations, food that looked good and artful. Um, you know, that's what I am at, at heart, an artist. I try to, you know, do that through painting. I try to do that through food and plate design. Um, I did pastry for 18 years, so plate presentations extremely important there. Um, so just uh, introduce some things. I'm not trying to educate anyone in food. Uh, more, moreover, I'm just trying to introduce new things and use all these local ingredients, which weren't really difficult for me to source here. There's so many farmers, um, you know, bringing me things right now that it's just fantastic. I'm kind of overwhelmed. It, it's, uh, I didn't really realize the farming community was so um, <laughs> gigantic here. What's your favorite thing to cook? Whatever I'm cooking in the moment. Uh, you know, you've got to, you know, you, my philosophy is you've got to kind of put love into everything. And if, if I have something that's a favorite, um, you know, you'd say signature dish or something along those lines, I don't really have one. I'm very passionate about what I'm cooking. Um, I don't have any, I don't put anything on the menu that I don't stand behind 100%. And what can people expect to find? Tell people, you know, what what hours are and what you serve. Let's just talk about the menus for a little bit. You serve breakfast too, right? Yes, sir. We let's serve. Talk about, let's just start with breakfast and go to lunch and then dinner. So we've got breakfast um, menu. We have shrimp and grits, uh, pancakes and eggs. We're going to be running French toast as a special, um, you know, just regular eggs and bacon and ham, things of that nature. The famous praline bacon. Everybody the famous praline bacon. They would not let me go without that. So, you know, I've embraced that wholeheartedly. Um, you'll see it on my lunch menu 
as well. What days do you serve breakfast? Breakfast is served Tuesday through Friday, and we open at 7 a.m. and we stop service at 10. Um, and so Saturday and Sunday we do a brunch, and that's all the way from 8 to 3. Um, and then lunch is served Tuesday through Friday, and that is, uh, sometimes I get confused, it's 11 to 3, and then on dinner, it is 4.30, we open up a little bit earlier. Uh, we open up at 4.30 and we serve our last reservations at 9. Okay, let's talk about the lunch menu then. What's on the lunch menu? Uh, lunch menu has some small plates, so you can try different things. A lot of people, you know, entree size salads, which we're happy to cut in half. Um, so we do those as well. We have like a fresh berry salad with goat cheese and local pecans candied. We have what's called my favorite salad, which is shaved fennel, arugula, um, orange, navel oranges sectioned with um, a citrus vinaigrette and uh, Split Creek Farms feta. Um, we have a pulled pork sandwich, we have a fried chicken club, we have a hamburger as well. You know, we, we, right now in season we have a cucumber soup, chilled cucumber soup, and so that's um, kind of been a big hit for people right now, nice and something refreshing. And I'm getting cucumbers locally here, which are just tasting fantastic right now. And then let's move to the dinner menu. What's on the dinner menu? Dinner menu, um, is, it, I have a couple meat dishes which are selling really, really well. Um, I have a, um, goodness. I can eat it, don't worry. Thank you. Um, I have a short rib uh, with a red wine reduction sauce or a Bordelaise. Um, I have a uh, grilled New York strip, and that is, both of them are served with garlic mashed potatoes, one of them is sauteed spinach, and the other is served with flowery purple kale, again, this local, um, it's, well, it's South Carolina grain, we'll say that, and it is uh, done with brown butter, brown garlic. Uh, the seafood, the fresh fish changes, kind of, depending on what I can get with, but that fresh fish is going to be served on a succotash, like a summer succotash, with corn, um, English peas, peppers, onions, and it's tossed in white wine butter sauce. That's been a big hit. Uh, we obviously have the shrimp and grits as an entree, a few smaller plates with a crab cake, um, pimento cheese, which is kind of my take on pimento cheese, and it's a little bit different, a little bit sharper. Um, I'm buying really high-quality cheese to do that. And then that takes us to brunch. I just want to make sure we cover all this so yeah. people are watching this one and what they can eat. That's the first question I get. What do they have? Yeah, so so br brunch is um, basically a cross between your breakfast and lunch menu. So a lot of the highlights, you know, we've got a few salads on there, the cucumber soup, the French onion soup, which is kind of a big hit, um, and then all of the breakfast items as well, um, and then I think one or two sandwiches. And all these menus are online, right? Yes, sir. They're, if you go to restaurant151.com, all the menus are online there. And where did you come up with that name? Uh, so we are sitting at 151 East Church Street. And, um, you know, it, it, a lot of things got tossed around. At one point, we were going to call it So Far with one R, uh, you know, play off my name. Uh, not everybody liked that. And I just got aggravated. So I just said, I'm going to make it a number. Um, I was going to call it 6 and 20 uh, for 6 and 20 Creek because I grew up on 6 and 20 Creek. Um, but there's also a dump site called 6 and 20 Dump, so probably didn't think that was a good idea as well. So we settled on Restaurant 151 at the Bleckley, and I like it. It, it kind of, it works. How long have you been open now? Uh, we have been open one week today. Okay. What's the response been so far from the community? Well, we were almost fully booked on Friday, um, Friday for dinner. 
Um, so we've we've seen you know I've seen a lot of familiar faces, a lot of friends that I grew up with, um, mothers of people that I grew up with. It, it's the reception's been fantastic, and you know Steve K and his staff here at the hotel have been nothing but supportive, and um, you know his wife Patty just they they come down and wait tables if I needed them to. It, they're just fantastic people that 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 are really backed me up and um, made this you know transition pretty easy now do y'all do catering as well or? we're not doing catering at the moment um because the kitchen's relatively small and refrigeration's limited uh i'm trying to keep the menu small i'm going to be rotating it rel relatively soon bringing in some new things taking away some new things depending on seasonality and availability um so that's kind of my take on that it's, I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to commit to anything that I know I can't execute. Um, right now, I'm just trying to execute the restaurant. Uh, there seems to be a trend now towards. I know COVID sort of kicked it off, but a lot of people are saying this trend towards smaller menus is going to stick, and that a lot of people really like that. I think you know the the smaller changing menu where you have your staples and things of that nature um, are are big. Uh, I like, I have a salmon dish that I'm really happy with. It's a barbecue salmon dish that's on my dinner menu with Carolina gold rice and um, braised greens as well. Uh, and it, it's, you know, I love it. I love to eat it. And I encourage everybody to try it at least once. Smaller menu. Yes. Yeah, so why that's becoming attractive. I, mean, I, I think the, one of the articles I read in the New Yorker said that uh, I want to know what you have that's good, not what all is on the menu. What all can you cook? Right. So it gives, it, it, a smaller menu gives us the ability to, to focus in on local produce and local things of that nature. Um, and, you know, somebody asked me about the menu the other day and I said, I'm kind of already bored with it. I want to do something different. Um, it gives us the ability. Yeah. After one week. Yeah, well, you know, um, it's, it's, uh, I'm that a chef. creative side you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, it gives you the ability to create and, and when something pops in your head to execute it. And um, sometimes those aren't always winners, but, you know, you've got to try them, work them, tweak them. That's part of being a chef. It's part of being a restaurateur. What's the biggest changes you've noticed in Anderson coming back after being gone so long? There's actually homeless people in Anderson now. Um, they weren't here when I left 30 years ago. Um, the traffic's about the same. <laughs> I mean, it used to take me, you know, 45 minutes to go four and a half miles in Charleston. So I love the fact that even at rush hour, uh, you know, it's a max 15 minute drive to work. Um, it, I love that part of it. I love the fact that I know the people that are coming into my restaurant. I have ties to them and they know who I am or they know who my father is. I told my wait staff when we first started out, I said, 90% of the people that come into this dining room know, either know me, my father, my mother, or Steve K or Patty K. And, you know, so everyone's a VIP. And that's the way I've operated from the get-go. Um, everyone's always a VIP because, you know, it's still a small town. <laughs> it's crazy to me. Um, with all the, the, all the new development and things, I, I still know a lot of people that walk through the door. I, I still know the majority of people who walk through the doors of my restaurant. I think you'll find, and you've already found, that when you left here, I'm not sure very many people would have been as adventurous, adventurous when they're eating. When they went out, that would be barbecue or chicken or meat and three or something. Now they're looking for something a little different. I, I guess you, you, you found that to be a... That's something I picked up on, you know. I, my parents uh, would go to Greenville once a week, if not twice a week, to eat just to get something other than meat and three or, you know, uh, you know the, the other two or three restaurants that they go to. Um, it's, 
I just see that where there's a there's a gap in this market right now, and and I hope I'm going to be able to fill it with you know something that's just a little bit higher end, um, something that's really you know focusing in on chef driven, food driven restaurant. And being small and lean, you can make quick changes and quick shifts and, and do whatever you want, right? Yes, sir. I mean, it's nice to be the owner. You know, I, I know the owner appreciates me. <laughs> So um, I can I can do my own work and 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 make changes and um, I'm the buck stops here you know so there's no nobody to explain why I want to do anything I just do it so that's a nice nice perk of the job. What do you eat when you go home? You cook all day. What do you eat when you go home? Man, I I usually eat here before I go home. I try not to I try not to have it, the more junk food I have in the house the easy stuff to go get the, the fatter I get so um, I try to eat healthy just like I'm cooking um, yeah I use some a lot of butter and cream I won't lie but um, at the same time you know I eat kale salads and you know try to be he as healthy as I possibly can because Lord knows I, I ate enough junk food and delivery food during COVID um, uh, I don't need that in my life anymore what is the chef's guilty pleasure, though? If you have, to, if you're chocolate, cheese, two things I cannot live without: chocolate and cheese. Yeah. So our hours are Tuesday through Friday. We're open for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, breakfast is served from 7 a.m. until 10 a.m. Lunch is served from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. And dinner is served from 4:30. And our last reservation is at nine. On the weekends, we have brunch on Saturdays and Sundays. That's from nine to three. We're closed for dinner on Sunday, but on Saturday we are open for dinner, and that is from 4.30 till the last reservation at nine. On Mondays, we are open for breakfast only, and the breakfast is the famous Bleckland Buffet. Yeah, that was a question I was getting. Was it going to continue? So that is a Monday special. It's going to be. We're going to continue it on Mondays, and that also gives me a little breathing room so I can get book work done and things that I don't particularly like doing that don't involve cooking. <laughs> and if you get people coming in, some of your regulars uh, have some ideas for something they'd like to try. Or are y'all game for experimenting with new things? I've I've had multiple emails from people. Is like, can you do this? Can you do that? And. Generally speaking, my motto is, yes is the answer, what's the question? Um, if you're a vegetarian, if you're gluten-free, if you have celiac, if you have an allergy, please feel free to call me. The phone number here is 864-318-0386, and feel free to contact me directly. I can tell you what I can do for you. I can tell you what seasonal vegetables I have. Um, I love every opportunity I get to be uh, creative. Uh, so you know what you're walking into as far as a vegetarian or someone with celiac. Um, I try to accommodate Stick everyone. In the kitchen, uh, you, you, you mentioned, you just told me the artwork on the wall here is your artwork. How much time do you spend painting? Um, it's my, it's, it's my go-to for downtime. Um, it's like meditation almost. You know, it, 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 it's a stress reliever and it's something I started doing about 20 years ago. Um, to pass time, I've self-taught. I never took an art lesson in my life. Uh, so I just kind of figured it out. I've talked to a number of people who've eaten there. Uh, I have not had a chance to get in there and eat so far, but I've heard nothing but uh, positive comments about the menu and 
I know one thing everybody was curious about was would they continue the famous uh, breakfast buffet and on Mondays they are doing that and the famous praline bacon is also the, the featured item on that. In other news, uh, Williamston has hired the town's first full-time paid fire chief and he's now officially on the job. He's no stranger to the area obviously. Uh, chief David Huff has been around fire service in this area for most of his life. Here's what he had to say about the new challenge he's chosen in Williamston. When was the first time when you were growing up that you remember being interested in this kind of thing in fire department and things like that? Um, my dad was in the fire department, uh, West Pelzer, um, so I kind of grew up around it, um, going going with him. You know, I was probably about that high. Um, I kind of decided it was in my blood and wanted to do it. So, played with fire trucks. And oh yeah, yeah, play with fire trucks, and uh, you know, uh, said I wanted, you know. To, to get into it and do that kind of stuff and uh, um, you know I got on the fire department in um, 96 at West Pelzer so uh, um, started volunteering over there uh, as a junior. Um, tell, me, tell people that don't know what a junior fire. So in Anderson County uh, you can join the fire department as a junior and um, you can do um, you know a handful of things obviously you can't go in and fight a fire but to get your foot in the door here at District 1 um, you know, we have the career center. Actually, just got a new a uh, fire instructor supposed to start um, the next school year. Um, he come from Ghent, Justin, uh, pretty good guy. He started his career at, at Piedmont, um, but uh, you can you know get involved and then start getting your classes through the career center, and, uh, and you get your classes. And uh, we've had a handful of guys uh, when when I was at West Pelzer. They come right out and um, go to work. Uh, Gant, South Greenville, uh, Anderson City, a uh, handful of them at Anderson City now, uh, you know, come from that program. Um, but uh, here at Winston, we have a, a spoiler post. It's a little bit different. Um, they they can do about the same things. It just um, kind of boils down to the insurance, you know, who's covering them on the insurance. Uh, and I know like the Sheriff's Department has its explorer post and, you know, in that kind of thing. So we have two active uh, explorers here uh, at Wimston. They come in pretty ready, these kids come in? Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. So uh, that's something I, I know, you know, I've only been here a week uh, as of yesterday. So, uh, but I know that's something we want to get into the high schools and the middle schools and try to recruit some of these guys uh, because that kept me out of um, trouble when I was in, uh, you know, when I was in school. Um, every day when I got out, I went to the fire department and was doing something up there. And if you wasn't doing nothing back then, I mean, they, you didn't, back then you didn't play on the video games and, you know, watch TV and all that. You was out there checking trucks or cleaning trucks or doing something polishing um so well you've been doing this a long time what kind of changes have you seen since you started obviously that's one of them with the um you know with, with the kids coming up um yep. building construction is uh, another one um obviously that's changed the way they you know building houses and all that uh these days um uh, a lot of the rules and regulations that we have to follow, uh, you know, by NFPA is um, obviously years ago they didn't do that, you know, do that, uh, which, you know, that puts a damper on our uh, budget uh, because, you know, we're having to follow all this stuff and we're regulated to that, so we had to follow that to make sure we're compliant. 
Um, it, it seems to me that things are changing in that it, one time the county was small enough that all volunteers could protect it, but people are going to have, have to get used to paying for fire protection like they do police protection if they really want to be covered, right? Oh yes, oh yes. Um, most definitely. Um, Anderson County is, I don't think the citizens understand that, you know, what the guys go through. I mean, going for me, um, you know, the volunteers are dwindling down. They're trying to find incentive programs to keep them going. Um, I mean, it's, it's getting harder and harder uh, to get a volunteer, but you're going to burn out the five or six at each station that you have that comes every call. And I mean, I know it's hard to work a 40-hour week and then, um, you know, you get into bed 10, 11 o'clock and then you have a call at 1 or 2 and then you're up four hours and then go to work the next day. Same thing the next night, have another call. Um, I, I don't know of too many citizens that wanted to say, well, I want to do that. Like, you know, I, I go work in a plant, but when I get off, I'm going to stay up all night and fight a fire. I mean, uh, it has to be in your blood that, that you want to do that and give back to the community. And y'all get a lot of calls that aren't even about fires, don't you? Oh, yeah. I, well, I just, uh, just had to help. Um, you know, Pelzer ran a call right up the street for a uh, fall. Um, and I first responded because uh, Medshore was out of the district. Um, so. so people don't realize everything oh, no. that's involved oh, no. in that. And just, nope. it, how much time does it take just to do the keeping up the trucks and the equipment and the maintenance and all? How much time consuming is that? How time consuming is that? Uh, that's, I mean, you got you to gotta make sure your equipment's ready to go um, anytime. So, you know, running your equipment, checking your equipment, just, you know, as a... As a homeowner, think about your saw that you have in your building. I mean, you pull it out, you got to cut a tree. You trying to crank it like 300 times, it's not cranking. Uh, when we pull this equipment out, we want it to crank the first time. You want it to, you know, because it's life or death. You need that equipment working. Um, so, you know, we checking the trucks every day, um, making sure everything's top notch, in service, running the pump, all that kind of stuff. And how many guys do you have that come out of this department? Uh, there's about 28 out of this department. Uh, as of a week ago, I'm the the current and the only uh, paid fire chief um, as of now. Uh, maybe let me reword that. Let's see. Uh, I think you're the first paid yeah, fire chief right. in Williamson. Yeah. yeah. As of last week, I'm the first paid fire chief of Williamson. And um, we're trying to narrow it down i think it's six or seven either i'm the sixth chief or the seventh chief uh i know like every chief that serves they've served years and years and years um so you were telling me you grew up in this community i did did I you did. ever think about you might be fire chief in williamson one day i did not i i had a goal to um i had a goal to uh, be a fire chief at west pelzer years ago um and um let's see uh I made a couple notes because I can't remember years, but uh, in uh, in 2000, I, I, I um, or let me back up. In 1999, I joined Anderson County Fire as a dispatcher. So I was volunteering West Pelzer, and then you know I joined over there, and um, you know started working. Uh, I worked there till um, 2000, 
and I left and went to work at East Simpsonville Fire Department as a firefighter. Um, so uh, I wound up, you know, going through the ranks, moving up. I was an engineer, a lieutenant, uh, shift officer. Uh, I ended up in um, 2009. In 2009, I uh, become uh, fire marshal uh, captain. So I served a second command in the absence of the, the fire chief. Uh, in 2010, I wound up. Uh, in 2010, I served as the assistant chief, and uh, then later in 2012, I moved up to the fire chief, and I served in 2018. And um, then uh, I had left East Simpsonville, which is formerly known as Clear Spring, went to work for Motorola, and um, it I had. It had been two years since I've been gone out of the fire service paid, so it was it was too much trying to manage a volunteer fire department and work, you know, in the field working on radios or doing whatever. Um, so I stepped down as you know as the chief to a lieutenant, which I'm still a lieutenant over there, and um, so I stepped down and um, you know still serve as a lieutenant, and um, obviously this job come open and. You know, wanted to be home, you know, near my community and give back to my community. And so I was able to financially make it work with my wife. And um, so I have a wife, uh, two kids, uh, a three-month-old and a six-year-old. So so um, uh, that keeps me busy along with, uh, you know, both fire departments and everything I do in, in both towns, you know. So... Well, having grown up around here, you were just telling me you got lots of friends that are still here. Oh, yeah. I, I'm guess they're glad to have you back here as fire chief. Oh, a, a, a lot of them's reached out to me, congratulating me. Uh, matter of fact, uh, you know, Mayor Burgess, when they made the post, he told me he was like, "You're a popular little guy," and I was like, "Well, a lot of people like me." I was like, "I have a lot of friends and a lot of connections uh, that you know we can pull on for resources and uh, for things like that that we need." And your friends, with you were telling me your friends with the mayor of West Pelzer. Yep, yep. Um, uh, mayor Sanders, me and him's best friends. Um, so a good guy, really good guy. What can people do in Williamston now? You're the new chief. Can, this is your chance to tell them something. What can they do to help you and your guys do a better job here in Williamston the fire department? Um. Well, I. I I can tell you a couple of things that we have going on that I know about. Uh, obviously, there's some stuff that we want to change down the road. Like I say, I've only been here a week. Uh, we do have a uh, can program. Um, you know, if you drink soda can stuff like that, the money goes to the Burn Foundation. So uh, we have a trailer here, and then there's one up just past Hardy's on the right. Um, and um, we collect the cans, we take it, and then send the money to the Burn Foundation. Um, you know, if you're interested in volunteering, you know, come down here and talk to us. If you have a kid in high school or, or middle school that don't know what they want to do, but, you know, they may want to give back to the community uh, at, at some point, come talk to us. Um, and um, I, I guess we have two big events. We just had one event. Uh, the, the 4th of July was a big car show we do, but the other is a spring water festival. Uh, really really large event uh, car show that we do um, and uh, so we do the car show and then everything else is going on in the park uh, bands and crafts and arts and all that kind of stuff 
um, uh, carnival, food trucks, um, but fire truck rides. I know this year's uh, something new that I brought to the table. We're going to do a uh, dunk dunking booth. So um, I, I've actually talked to Mayor Burgess and Mayor Sanders, and they're going to get in the booth. So uh, I think that'll be good. I'm going to get in the booth. i got some members to get in there, so uh, I think that'll be cool. Uh, I haven't got to speak with them, but uh, some of the local principals at the middle and high school, I think that'll be cool for some of the, the students to come out and uh, try to dunk their principal or whatever. Um, so... You mentioned if somebody might be interested, how long would, uh, we're talking about an adult here, how long would they have to train before they could actually come in and be of help to y'all? Well, they have, um, you, you got to get your, um, a handful of classes. I mean, you got Auto X, you got 1152, Firefighter 1, Firefighter 2. Uh, where do they, take, where do they take those at? I mean, how do they take So, those? Anderson County uh, Training Facility does some. Uh, you know, it, obviously, uh, I wasn't able to do this. You know, when I was growing up, I had to take mine at, like, every Monday and Wednesday night at the training facility in Anderson. Um, and but you know if you're able to and you could go to columbia and do the um you know the the recruit class when you come out of there you'll have everything you need um you know that's like like you're going to the police academy but it's going to the fire academy you go down there for you know so many weeks and when you come out you have everything but most of the time around here everybody's after work it's in the evenings two nights a week you're taking a class some saturdays um, so, you know, there's a lot of training that's put in people don't know about, you know, behind the scenes. Um, obviously, you know, I have a handful of classes, but, you know, everybody's still learning. You know, you're still taking classes and going to training and stuff like that. And if somebody is watching this and is one of the few people who doesn't already know you, seems like everybody's already met you, <laughs> knows you, uh, what's the best way for them to get in touch or to find out more about what y'all are doing here? You can, um... Obviously, you can stop by here. You can call Town Hall. They can get a hold of me or um, um, shoot me an email um, at wfdchief at wimstonsc.us or give me a phone call at 864-304-5660. It's my cell number. W's not the only public service officer that has new in the area. Uh, Iva has a new police chief. He's been on the job for about six months now. I wanted to give him a chance to settle in. Here's what Chief Hamden had to say about serving as police chief in a small town. This is back at, first of all, Chief, tell everybody, tell everybody to introduce yourself and then we'll go start from there. Okay. I'm Shook Hamden. I uh, recently moved to the town of Iva. Um, I've been in law enforcement for, I think, going on 16 years now. I work most of my career in the state of Georgia. Um, I've been in Iva since uh, June of 2020. Uh, Came to the great town of Iva as a road officer. Um, started uh, duty of police chief back in December of 2020. So I've been doing this for about uh, seven months now. When you were growing up, did you always want to be in law enforcement? Did you grow up thinking you'd do this? Uh, I wasn't really sure. It's something I had, I think, kind of in the back of my mind, something I, I wanted to do, something I, I thought I wanted to try. Um, I've enjoyed it. It's been a good career so far. Where'd you grow up? Uh, Elbert County, Georgia, just across the lake from here. So this area is no nothing new to you. Right, yeah. Somewhere we used to pass through a lot going to Anderson as a kid. And, and growing up, um, 
Did you have any, I mean, did you know people who were in law enforcement or did you know any people that were involved in it? I knew a few of them. Uh, I had some, I don't know, I guess as a kid you think you have, you know, you look back later, I guess they were kind of heroes to you when you were a kid. People helped you out a lot and people just stop and take up time with you. The, uh, what was your first job in law enforcement? Uh, my first job in law enforcement, I started in Livonia, Georgia. I was just a regular patrol officer. Started there uh, my first year in law enforcement. I had been there less than a year. Um, I had made officer in charge of my shift uh, at that time. Uh, really enjoyed it. Stayed there for a couple of years while there and went to Tacoa, Georgia. Stayed there. I think I was there for about nine years. And I got out of law enforcement for a little while. And I came back. And I just something that gets in your blood. You can't stay away from it. What, what have been some of the challenges of being chief of a small town? Because that, that's a different different job than some of the other law enforcement stuff you did. Um, I think the biggest thing is anything that happens in a small town, you can't keep it a secret, whether it be during an investigation or anything like that. I think everybody pretty much knows everything that's going on. If they don't, they think they know it. And, uh, so I think they... How many officers do y'all have here? I mean, how many, how much, I, I'm not sure I know the police force here. If, if we're fully staffed, we should be at 13 officers. I, we're short two right now. Uh, we're looking for two more good officers. So. Well, and it's a strange time to be in law enforcement. What are some of the challenges y'all face now down here? I think the challenges we've got right now, um, the biggest challenge we've had is dealing with COVID, um, going through the South Carolina Criminal Justice Academy as far as training, stuff like that, finding people to come in and do training. Um, I feel like we're at a point now where we're close to the end of that. Um, I think July 1st, the Academy is actually opening back up for advanced training classes too, so that's going to be a big plus for us. So um, I think it's one of the biggest things we've had is just giving our officers training it's it's a it's a challenging time to be in law enforcement. Yes. I mean, just in general, uh, is there anything you or your guys do to try to, to diffuse some of this national stuff that's going on, or the other stuff people see in the news? We try to do a lot of in-house training, uh, training amongst our guys. Uh, we don't get chances to do like with the whole department wide, but maybe we'll get like a handful of us. We'll get out and train, uh, doing different things. Whether you know it's with the new guys out here in the parking lot, you know, training for, you know, we had one guy that's in the academy now. Um, you know, before he started, we were in the parking lot doing just start with the basics of traffic stops and work up from there. Uh, we've got some abandoned buildings in the town we've done. like we've I've done a lot of training in the past, uh, like helping train SWAT guys and stuff like that. So we've get out some of our vacant buildings, stuff like that, just doing like some building clearing and just stuff that we need, you know, that we feel like can be detrimental in the future for, you know, our training stuff. A lot of people don't realize that in small towns, a lot of the calls y'all get really don't have much to do with crime. Right. <laughs> tell people about, tell people what an average, you know, number of calls y'all get that aren't crime related. What kind of things do y'all get called for all the time? Um, we get a lot of calls for animal complaints. So we do have a town ordinance for people supposed to keep their dogs on leashes or whatever. And the typical response we get is, well, I had him in there and he climbed out. Or um, a lot of stuff we get too. We get a lot of domestic related calls. We get out um, and it's basically people arguing. Somebody's heard them and say, oh, they're over there fighting. And, we get there and it's nothing even to that fact. Somebody just got upset and got loud and having a typical argument. So. And I think the instinct for a lot of folks that have grown up in a small town is just call the police. They right. Don't, they don't call the right place they need to call. They just call y'all for stuff, everything. Yes. Uh, what kind of relationship do y'all have with uh, Anderson County Law Enforcement and working with the Sheriff's Department and that kind of thing? Um, pretty good relationship with them. Um, we do a lot of work with the investigators over there. 
um, work hand in hand with a lot of stuff. Um, I've actually got five schools here, so Anderson County District 3 falls under me, so I've got five SROs in the schools too, so the investigators there are great to work with. Um, they've been very helpful. How difficult is it to be an SRO in the schools now? Because they, they're not quite sure what they're supposed to do and what they're not supposed to do sometimes. I mean, you, you've got some experience with that, right? Yes. Yeah, I've actually done um, SRO at the high school this past year. So, um, we're What was that like? Uh, it was actually a good experience. It helps me. I, I got to know, you know, all the kids there in the school, get to know a lot of their parents and everything, and uh, get to go to the football games and meet a lot of the town people and everything. And, you know, so it was actually a good experience. I've got one of my SROs too. He told me before, he said, you couldn't have beat him, made him work in the school. He said, now you couldn't beat him, make him leave the school. So <laughs> it's actually a pretty good job. And do you live in Ivan now? I do. I live here in town. What do you think about living in a small town like, I mean, you're not from a big city, but living in Iva, what are some of the advantages of being here? Oh, well, I think, I think the biggest advantage is just knowing people. So I, I get to go to the store, um, but being fairly new here, I don't know everybody. So it's kind of a game where I, I tell my wife, I say, I put on my ball cap, you know, my sunglasses walk in the store or something, you know, a lot of people just say hi, don't know who I am. And then other people kind of call me out on it. And it's like, you know, think I'm sneaking around or something, but uh, I enjoy it here. It's, it's great where you can just, you know, walk down the street, my wife or whatever, and people are waving, you know, saying hello and everything. That's just that small town atmosphere. And I think that's what kind of what we were looking for. So it works out good. If somebody, this a citizen here is watching this and they're getting to know you and they maybe already know you, uh, what, what are some things that the citizens can do to help you and your, your officers here to uh, keep Iva safe and to make this a great place? Just stay alert and watch what's going on around them. Um, if they see something, they can report it to the police department. Um, if it's something that's emergency, they call 911 or they can call the police department direct. Um, a lot of people stop me on the streets and tell me stuff or they'll stop my officers. Uh, being a small town, most of us are pretty well known here, so uh, all my guys are friendly, professional, so be contacted easily. And do y'all have certain ways y'all keep in contact? Y'all do social media, websites, or any way y'all keep in regular contact with folks that just need basic information? Pretty much. We've got the town website. Um, Tim Taylor heads that up. Uh, a lot of people contact him for certain questionnaire thing like we've got uh, going on like the summer night stuff we've got the fourth July fireworks stuff like that uh, I, Tim's been here his whole life so a lot of people just call Tim direct and uh, me and Tim have a good relationship so anything that he's got you know I share with him he shares with me and I can share my information back with him so pretty good working relationship and you mentioned you have a couple openings now yes um, what kind of person are you looking for that would be a perfect fit to come to Iowa and work with y'all? Uh, somebody professional, organized, uh, friendly. Um, somebody that would be a good fit here. So, not really, I don't think there's really any cookie cutter type of officer out there. So, um, somebody that has an interest in it. You know, I'd like to find somebody certified, but, you know, or if we can't go that route, then we'll find somebody. We can send them to the academy, get them trained. Uh, you, want to tell, you told me a little bit about your history. You want to tell a little bit about yourself now and what y'all are doing, that kind of thing. Just Are you married? Do you have family? Yeah, I'm married. Uh, like I said, I'm married. Me and my wife, Regina. Uh, she works in uh, food service industry, so she travels a lot with her job daily. Um, we have our two boys who live here, um, here in town, so uh, not a lot to tell. Just... Now you sound like all the law enforcement guys I talk to. What, 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 do you have any hobbies? Everybody's too busy to have hobbies. What are, you, what are your hobbies? Um, I guess my biggest hobby right now would probably be, uh, I think since it's the week of the 4th, we just got a new pool. So I think this week is my biggest hobby is that pool, I guess. So I'm on vacation this week, so we're utilizing that as much as possible. So, um, But we do have a Harley. We like to ride, and uh, we get out and shoot guns and uh, 
you can't help but live in this area and not love to fish and hunt too. A lot's going on down in Iba. Uh, they've got a big event planned in August. We'll talk more about closer to the time. But they have the potential to be one of the next growth areas of the county, and it's good to see that. You may have noticed some new colorful art in downtown Anderson. The public art is part of an ongoing project with the Anderson County Art Center. And director April Cameron said the work is good for the artist and good for the public. So the sculptures that are downtown are part of a, our jury show. And this portion of the jury show just is called the Sculpt Tour. But how many, how many pieces are in this, this exhibit, this Sculpt Tour? So each year we have a partnership with the city of Anderson and they help to provide the funding for this exhibit. And each year we are at the capacity where we get six new sculptors every year. And so we, they're sort of on loan for a year period. The artists are paid a fee for us having them on loan. And then after a year when our new jury show comes around and the new sculpt tour uh, competition comes around then we switch them out each year. And how long, how, how, first of all, how do y'all choose which ones? So these sculptors enter the juried show process just like someone that was doing one of our uh, 2D exhibits would and then we have a committee that selects the sculptors. And you said there's six? There, there's six this year, six new ones. Now, sometimes we've the city has ended up purchasing some of the sculptures over the past year, so we have more than that in downtown Anderson, but each year we have the opportunity to have six new ones for that one-year period of time. If the city finds something that they, they can purchase and want to purchase, then they'll do that and add that pretty much to what I would consider a permanent collection for the city. And I noticed this year some of the new ones are really colorful. They are, they're really colorful and I like that. We have some bronze things that are already downtown and so we've kind of got that niche filled a little bit. So I love the fact that we've got really colorful things that are popping up right now. Um, the artists that we have this year, Matt Amante, Aldo Mozzarelli, Yalitza Diaz, and Bob Doster are the four artists that we have this year. Um, Bob and Matt had two pieces that were selected. So even though we have slots for six um, sculptures, this time we have four artists and two of them have two pieces. And why do you think it's important for us to have art downtown like that? Uh, public art is a great opportunity to bring people downtown to see things not only when they're down here with businesses and shopping and things like that they get um, exposed to something that they might not otherwise would i think public art it creates community it creates conversation um, people can enjoy more than just walking down the sidewalk there's something to see while they're on their pathway to something else and are you getting many comments already on these? Yes, um, people love the color, the, like you mentioned, people love the colorfulness of the sculptures that we have this year. Y'all put art in the Carolina Rim Park too, don't you? Sometimes, that Sometimes it just depends. Like we work with the we work with the city of Anderson, Kimberly Spears, on placement of where the sculpture should go. Um, we have a really good crew from the city that helps to do the installations, and with their direction, we kind of decide what's going to be the best location. We have to be aware of things like um, handicap accessibility. Um, you can't put a sculpture in the middle of a sidewalk that somebody can't get around. So there's a lot of things to take into consideration other than just where it's going to be aesthetically pleasing. 
And the Wrens are still downtown, right? The Wrens are still downtown, and we still have the, there's a, a brochure that tells you where to go and look for them throughout downtown, and so that's still available for people to do. So these sculptures will be there until next year, probably May would be about the time frame. They were installed this past May, the week of May 7th, and they'll be there through uh, the same time frame next year. Like I said, this sculpture um, competition goes hand in hand with our annual juried show. And so we're on the same time frame as that is. So every spring we get new entries and then they're usually installed before the beginning of summer. And they all have a little plaque or something. They do. So each sculpture has, um, we call them artist tags, but it's a plaque that's right located right beside it. And it tells you the artist's name, their um, statement and thoughts about the piece, what it represented to them. There's also a price if you're interested in having sculpture in your backyard. Most of these are available for sale. So um, I'm sure the artists would love for people to buy them and put them in, in their home. One of Anderson's brightest and best has decided to retire this year she didn't retire in the beginning of July and during her years of service Katie Smith built Anderson County's Office of Voter Registration and Election into a model office that others have sought to follow and she's been an officer around the state serving on several committees and and she witnessed a lot of changes in the elections over the years she has been there um, technology and other things that have brought new challenges and new changes and I talked to Katie about her time there and potentially what she's going to do looking ahead how in the world did you get involved in voter registration and elections? That's an interesting story. Um, so I worked for the county back, I started with the county when I was 22 years old, but I was at the public defender's office. So in 93, I believe that's when I went to work there. Worked there for eight years and got I uh, was very fortunate to get a job with the town of Bible as their town clerk treasurer. Uh, unfortunately, that was at a time when there, there was a lot of issues going on. They had just lost their town clerk. There was an investigation with SLED. So you may recall that with, with the town of Bible. Went to help them help get everything straightened out and um, that next year was the first election I had ever conducted for anyone and met Patsy Brown. She was the director at the time and knew that I wanted to come back to the county because the town of Iva, they just couldn't afford the salary that they gave me and they were talking about cutting police officers and all this just to keep me at that salary. And I was like, no, no, you know, let, let's figure this out. So when I was doing the election, um, like I said, met Patsy Brown and she happened to be looking for an assistant director. And she sat and talked with me for a very long time and thought I would be a perfect fit for their department. And I said, well, you know, let me see, let me see what's going on with the town. Let's, let me talk with the mayor. And so long story short, it worked out for everyone. Tim Taylor, who was the town clerk there now, I trained him. He came in and got the job. I left and came to work here at the Federal Registration Elections Office, and that was in 2002. And you have navigated through some 
extraordinary changes during that time. What are some of the biggest changes you, you remember in, in during, I mean, it's a Ooh, long time. It is a long time, but I will say that I was put to the fire in 2002 because I came there in May, right before the June primary. And if you recall in 2000 and leading into 2002, that was right off of the hanging chads in Florida. So there were big legislations that, that uh, federal legislation that was going through to change voting. Right. And, and there were still people locally who remembered what happened here yes. 15 years earlier that was right. really... And, and, and that I, I didn't know until much later. So that year was really my year of learning and then also once I was learning punch card by 2004 because of that HAVA Act that came out, the Help America Vote Act that came out because of everything that happened with the hanging chads in Florida and the punch cards. Um, in 2004 was my first presidential election, plus we had a new system. We had to get rid of punch cards. And that was a, that was a challenge. Um, again, because I was new and just was learning what a primary was, what districts and precincts and polling locations, and navigating that and learning a new system after you just had learned punch cards was huge. And we were one of the first 16 counties that year to implement it because we still had punch cards. So we were the I don't want to say guinea pigs, but we were the new kid on the block with that new electronic voting system. So that was, when you're talking hundreds and hundreds of poll managers you had to train, plus you're learning it, it was a challenge. That was a huge challenge. And I, I know over the years you've had to say, we've got another <laughs> new system you know, coming in a, a multiple times. Right. Yes. So yes. what, do you think that, well, the other thing, though, you just mentioned something that rang a bell with me. You said at the time you are a guinea pig, but in the years since, Anderson County sort of become a leader. Y'all are the ones who test things now, not as guinea pigs, but because right. they know y'all have got. Exactly. So um, beginning in 2006 is when I became director. And up until that point, I had been part of our state organization, which is, is comical. The acronym is SCARE, the South Carolina Association of Registration and Election Officials. Uh, I became very active and in, involved in SCARE. And through doing that and making sure that I was just well-trained and really implementing some new policies and procedures, we became one of the counties that was looked to to test, pilot tests, uh, being on committees that were vetting new systems and looking at new procedures. So I was very fortunate in um, also developing the staff that having the staff be able to be here and me be able to travel around the country really 
and around the state, freeing up my time to learn and see what other states were doing and bring that back here. I think that's what helped put Anderson to the forefront of being one of the leaders in elections. Um, and I enjoyed it. Learning and comparing, it was exciting to see what Texas does and what we do, or what California does and what we do. And then taking bits and pieces and making us better at elections and not just taking their whole system. Because there's not a perfect system. But you're always trying to drive that bus to get to that perfect system and get people on board that bus that will back up and say, okay, well, let's try that. Let's see how that works just to make it more efficient and better for the voter and keep it fair, transparent, and open through the whole process. And you were elected the head of that organization. The I was. Organization, and you've been honored several times by them, too. I have. Um, I worked my way through the organization, um, served on several committees as chair, then was um, elected first vice president and then president. So I got to serve for um, a little over two years. So um, then COVID hit and didn't get to do as much as I wanted to in my last year as serving as president. But we saw a lot of great things that we were able to do via Zoom and working with our legislators to get them to recognize, okay, one, we didn't close. So where a lot of facilities and businesses had to shut their doors during the pandemic, we were a critical infrastructure. We had primary elections coming up. We had the presidential the general election in November, and none of that could stop. So working through that and being president of the organization, we found a way to talk to our legislators and keep the ball rolling and say, okay, if we're going to have these elections, how can we protect our voters at the polling locations? So we saw a lot of changes that I hope will stay in our laws for that reason, to protect our voters on election day, and the support, that monetary support, to provide us with the equipment that we needed to protect our voters in the, that environment. So we got their ear, and I hope that the organization can keep our legislators' ear from here on out. And then Anderson County had pretty good support from council. I think we were the first one to have cages to protect our things. Absolutely. Absolutely. So having seen the transition through elections and what the security measures need to be, not just with cyber security, but with the physical security, when we got the new equipment that was being bought by the state, we had a way we had to find a way to secure it. Make sure that when it's transported from our office to the polling location, that that's a kind of a closed loop system. So in doing that, approached County Council well before we got the new system, because we knew that it was coming. Um, our other system was just at its life expectancy. It was 
you know, declining in performance, needed a replacement system. Had kept them in the loop, let them know that, you know, X amount of money may be, it may be that we don't pay any for the new system. And if that's the case and it's not matching, what can we do to secure it? So found the cages that we were able to put all of the precincts equipment in, locked up, secure, because one of the challenges was we now had to deliver all the equipment and pick it up where before the size of the equipment were such that our election workers could pick it up themselves, take it to the polling locations and then bring it back. So we had that chain of custody and we were confident in it. Now it's moving away from that. We need to deliver it. So with partnership with several other departments, we were able to look at if we have these huge cages, how can we get it delivered safely and brought back? And like I said, it's under lock and key the entire time, password protected. So I'm very confident in the security measures that County Council saw that we needed and bought into by providing the funds for those cages. So that was what I was going to ask you. You feel like of all the things you've seen over the decades here now, um, you feel confident what we've got now is a really secure, good system for voting? I do. I really do. It is um, more of a closed system. It's still not connected to the internet. We have um, a system that it is still in place where the State Election Commission is controlling the data and the programming to us. And then with us taking that, and then it's all here in our department under one roof. So it's not stored anywhere else. We have our security measures in place. And so when it leaves here after our testing and we know when it winds up at the polls and know when it's open, that that is a closed system. We still have that chain of custody, still have those checks and balances to make sure that it wasn't tampered with. So I'm, I'm very pleased with the system that the state elected to purchase. You mentioned your staff. One of the things I've heard people brag on that are from other states, and even people who suddenly their parents have aged out and they have to bring them in and all, is how patient and kind in general your staff has been with helping people right. vote who need extra help. How, how did you get your staff to, or, or is that just the kind of people you hired, or how'd that work out? So I've been very fortunate with the staff in over the years and had very little turnover with the staff. One of the reasons I believe is because we cross-train. First and foremost, you got to have confidence. And, and to gain the confidence in this type of career, you really need to know the basics and how it builds on each other, from voter registration to election day and everything in between. So from day one as director, I knew I wanted to have the staff cross-train. They have their primary responsibilities, but then also the philosophy we work as a team. It takes a team effort to conduct elections and maintain voter registration rolls. So implementing that motto and adopting it that we're a team and then working together and each one knowing what the other one does helps first. 
Then with the customer service, with our voters that come in, one of the things I try to instill with our workers is when you're trying to conduct your business, put yourself in that person's shoes. That voter that comes in or new voter that's coming in, candidate, anyone that's interested in the election process, they're not going to know what you know. So take it as a learning opportunity. It's where you get to train them and make them a better voter, a better citizen that is more knowledgeable of the whole election process. So um, I think with those efforts, that really has helped the staff to develop professionally. And that was the third component, is helping them become more professional whether that's giving them the resources and the tools, um, the training, you know, we have to have our continuing education. We have to be certified. So it takes 18 months to get that certification. Then you have where you have to take courses every year to maintain it. But have gone above and beyond and, and said, if you see a course that you want to take that's going to help you develop in communication, written communication, um, customer service, any of that that you see is beneficial for you, let's do it. You know, send them and giving them the time to do that and just build their confidence and their knowledge. So I think all that combined is what's, what's helped the staff. Well, I'm not sure you've had, there's any other group in the county that's had to change directions more often than this group. You keep talking about they change voting systems, they change the way they count, they change the way they do lots of things. And it's amazing you've been able to keep your staff on board with having to constantly relearn. Right. So that is interesting that you bring up because the former director, Patsy Brown, when I worked under her up until that 2000-2002 era, um, when Help America Vote Act came out and was approved, there had really been no federal legislation that had changed the face of elections. And we had a conversation before she retired and she said, it will never stop now. You're always going to have election laws changing now. And that has been so true. So it is constant. You know, we are mandated by local legislation that a lot of folks don't realize that, um, you know, procedures and, and policies, just like with zoning, that's a zoning referendums, a whole different animal when you get into that type of election. Um, state legislation is constantly changing now with the elections. And so when you take all three of those facets, um, it is that we talk about it in the office. We'll have our staff meetings. Um, we will digest it, um, make sure that we understand it, ask the State Election Commission for assistance, um, even the State Attorney General's office, you know, how are you interpreting this? So we, again, I can't emphasize enough that the staff knows what their resources are and they know how to use them. So once we've been able to know where we go to get guidance and then 
um, work through that, talk about it, make sure that we understand it is how we've been able to keep up with this changing face of elections. And it's about to change again. There's a lot out there that is really being touched. One of the unique things about that I've learned over the years is we're, we're sandwiched in this little corner where we got Georgia on one side and North Carolina on the other in the upstate. So um, we have to watch their legislation too because we have to be able to articulate that's not us, that's Georgia law or that's North Carolina law. This is South Carolina law. So um, the biggest one that everybody will be familiar with is early voting. We don't have early voting, but Georgia and South Carolina, I mean, North Carolina does. South Carolina doesn't. We have absentee voting. Two very different things. Well, and the professionalism you explained, but how do you explain maintaining a staff that, because I've been to places that are professional and aren't very kind. But right. your staff seems to be kind and sort of have a gentleness in doing something that's very clinical and very laid out. How, how do you explain that? I think it Have you heard comments from people like this? I, I have. And last year was huge. Um, we had the long, and, and this is just to give you the insight of the, exactly what you're saying and drive home the point how gentle and kind they are. We had the longest lines ever in this building last year that wrapped all the way down and under the bridge. They were so, the voters were so patient and so was the staff. Um, one, I think, is because of the interview process and who we've had come on board. Beth Keaton is the assistant director, and she's been here a few months longer than I have. So she's been here exactly 20 years, and I've been here exactly 19, a little over, both of us. So when I became director and she became assistant director, we both had worked in environments that we knew we didn't want to put someone else in, and we wanted to make sure that we maintained the type of office and environment that was kind and patient. So when we were doing the interview process, we would always talk about the questions. How are we going to get those people that are applying to work in this career, in this department, to open up, to really let us know why they want to be part of the team. And we've been very fortunate that by doing that, we have a team, they honor each other, they talk to each other, they support each other, then that translates into what they're doing for the voters and the citizens in Anderson. And it is, that's one of the hardest things for me to leave. Well, kind of following that, we don't know, as we filmed this officially, who's your replacement. What, right. what advice would you have for whoever's replacing you coming in here? Um, you're going to have to have a very strong backbone. Very strong. Always do what's right. Don't waver from that. You know, the, the fortunate thing about this department and this career and elections is there's really no gray area. You, it's governed by state, federal, and local laws. 
follow those. Don't waver, don't bend, stick to that. Um, trust the staff, you know, I don't know who's going to be here, but, <clears throat> excuse me, obviously they're going to have more experience in the department. So lean on your staff until, you know, you, that person is established and gets to know the staff and gets to know the, the community and the workers in the departments that we work with. Um, but I would, I would say that those are the main things is to, you know, continue, be kind, but absolutely that backbone and, and following, you've got people that will attempt to do things that benefit them in elections. And, you know, you've just got to be stern and know what your laws are, be educated always be educated never assume that you know everything um, after being in this department for 19 years two-man integrity has always been my motto that means to me I may think I know it and I'm going to use my resources but I'm going to go ask someone else you know I have this situation, you know, this came up, this is how, this is what I found, do you read it the same way? Is this what you find in the law? Is there something that's changed that maybe I forgot about or don't remember? Um, so that two-man integrity, checks and balances, huge, huge in this department. So factoring all that in, that's the advice I would give to the new person coming in. Well, what's next for you, Katie? When you, are you going to wake up every no, and during early November, first week of November every year for a while and just get the shakes? <laughs> Probably. That They've already asked me to be an election worker and a poll manager, and I'm like, no, I don't think so. Um, <laughs> you know, first thing I want to do is I'm going to sleep in on election day. I hope. Um, not having to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning and get ready and be here and... Um, having that first hour of torture, waiting for the polls to open, and that second hour after they open, um, from 6 to 8 a.m., whew, that's my, that, I'm hoping to sleep through those hours. Um, after that, I'm sincerely praying to see what doors open. There, I have no agenda. Um, and that's You're too young to be retired. I am young. I'm for me to be retiring, I'm very fortunate to have worked in county government for 28 years. Very fortunate. And to have started out as young as I did and had the opportunity. Um, so, no, I'm not just going to sit at home. Of course, I've got projects around the house I'm going to take care of first. You're going to stay in this community? Stay in this community. It's my community. I'm going to stay here. And just like I said, um, there's something. I don't know what that something is. And I've always been fortunate to have the opportunities almost come to me. Just like with the Public Defender's Office, that, that opportunity opened up and was basically laid in my lap. Um, same thing here, coming back from um, Iva back to Anderson County government, that 
got laid in my lap too, so I've been blessed. So I'm waiting to see what my next blessing is. Kay's replacement was officially named late this week, and she's no stranger to the Anderson County Voter Registration Election. Laura Booth has been in leadership there in that office since 2007 and is the perfect successor to Katie Smith. I've interviewed Laura on several occasions trying to help the general public understand and navigate election cycles and look forward to working with her. Finally, after more than a year lost to the pandemic, local theaters are finally reopening with new performances on stage. The Milltown Players stage kicked off a new season Friday night with a rockabilly concert by Honey and the Hot Rods. Sold Out House was treated to a solid performance and shouts of joy and glee as Will Ragland introduced the return of entertainment in the new season. This weekend, Steel Magnolias will begin a three-week run at the Milltown Players. And downtown, the Market Theater is jumping back in with an outdoor performances, a number of outdoor performances of Mamma Mia in the Carolina Wren Park. Looking ahead to Labor Day, now sitting less than six weeks away, Celebrate Anderson will feature country music from John Michael Montgomery on the main stage, plus fireworks and lots of other family entertainment. And it's good to see things getting back in the entertainment field. But let's hope our vaccination rates improve as we move forward to get things running full tilt again so we don't experience any hiccups heading into the Thanksgiving Christmas holidays, which are now less than 18 weeks away. Well, that's it for this edition of the Anderson Reserver Podcast, news from people you trust. Join me next time, but until then, get out and do something to make Anderson a better place. There ain't nothing in the world that I like better than bacon and lettuce and homegrown tomatoes. Up in the morning, out in the garden, get you a ripe one, don't get a hard one. Plant them in the spring, eat them in the summer. All winter without them's a culinary bummer. I forget all about the sweating and digging. Every time I go out and pick me a bit. Homegrown tomatoes, homegrown tomatoes. What'll I be without homegrown tomatoes? Only two things that money can't buy, and that's true love.